0: Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only podcast that dares to be both on-topic and on-location. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I'm a part of Gestalt IT. Each episode, we bring you the opinions and perspectives of a group of IT luminaries, real experts in their field. I'd like to take a moment to introduce our panelists before we jump into the premise or the topic for this episode, starting with Jim.
1: Hi, my name is Jim Saprinski, and I'm a president and chief Storyteller at Zero Defect Computing Incorporated. You can find me on Mastodon at at JimTheYGuy at Mastodon.net or at JimTheYGuy.com.
0: Gina?
2: Hey, I'm Gina Rosenthal. I am the founder and CEO of Digital Sunshine Solutions, which is a fractional marketing, product marketing um, agency. You can find me on a uh, LinkedIn, Gina Rosenthal, or you can find me at my podcast, which is TechAunties.
3: And I'm Brian Knutson. Um, I do a lot of different things within the IT space, and you can find me at Knut.net, or LinkedIn under Brian Knutson, or B. Knudsen at VMSTIO on Mastodon.
0: All right. Thank you all for joining us. Let's jump into the premise for this episode. We're here at Edge Field Day, and we're talking a lot about what Edge really is. And we have had a a great discussion so far, whether it's roundtables or hearing from companies. But is it really all that? When you think back over the history of IT, there's been so many things that have been so transformative, going all the way back to Charles Babbage's Difference Engine, the work that Grace Hopper, Admiral Grace Hopper did with the original computing systems. You know, you could even throw in Bletchley Park if you really want to. But as we get closer and closer to what we would consider modern times, it seems like the revolutions are happening faster and faster. You know, when one thing will take off when one doesn't. Why did IBM PCs take off when Apple Lisa didn't? And you have to ask yourself if what we're seeing really is transformative. But I think that the premise for this episode is that Edge is the third great tech revolution. I want to start off by asking our friend Gina here, because she's, this was a topic she was very interested in. If Edge is the third great tech revolution, what would you consider to be the first two?
2: I would consider the first one to be mainframe. Okay. And the second one to be client server.
0: I would agree with that, I mean, going back to what we said in the intro, you know, Admiral Grace Hopper and, and uh, you know, the, the very first computer, uh, you know, that's a mainframe. And, and so we, we built and built and built on that, and it wasn't until we had reliable client machines deployed everywhere that we were able to kind of break away from that. And even client-server architecture in the modern era of cloud, we still have clients and servers, we just consume them differently. So you're saying that as we've moved past client server, we're on the brink of something really transformative and in the edge as opposed to cloud being that transformative part, right?
2: Yes, I am. Okay.
0: Well, I'm going to
3: disagree, <laughs> respectfully, of course. I know. But um, I, I, would, I would point more to, to cloud as the point at which we started this revolution. Um, not that the revolution that you're, you're laying out isn't, um, a revolution, but I think the pivot point happened with cloud first and edge is another example of that and, and The way I would recategorize this third revolution would be the um, The dynamic nature of location of, of premises and where we put our data So it could be cloud. It could be the data center. The data center was what it was until we hit this pivot point but now that we have cloud now that we have edge where we put the data, where we put the compute becomes a decision point we all have to make as we're creating applications, as we're putting these things together.
2: I think that's the revolution, is that we have the ability to make the decision where we want it to be, you know. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of the, the transformations that have led us here are built on sales initiatives and competition. Right, so we've got the whole AT&T brouhaha, you know mm-hmm. that 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 caused a little bit of drama as we were getting into the three-tier and the client-server, and cloud. I think is very much the same way. Cloud. I think we talked about this earlier. Cloud exists and became an operate became an adopted operating model because the cloud folks saw pain points with um, developers or what we used to call engineers, right? <laughs> so the pain points there were they were getting blocked by IT. IT put the blocks up to protect um, things, but they were too slow. And the cloud providers were like, why are you even letting anybody do infrastructure? Come on over here, give us your credit card. We'll do it for you. You'll be happy. And now the reason that's just the reason I don't think that's part of the revolution. I think the revolution, because it was... It was changed and based on a sales strategy. That's how they gained adoption. It was smart of them. That's how they gained adoption. As the applications and the instances and the footprints in the cloud grew, it became very apparent to the business owners that, okay, we need something that's more stable. We were spending too much here. A whole whole subsection of IT now is cloud economics. And What am I paying for? Why am I paying for it? So I think that was just another way to get us to see how to build very scalable scalable instances of, of operating um, infrastructure because the cloud companies they, they actually perfected it and I think now everybody else is catching up and and I do think your point of edges you can put the application where it needs to go where is it the most performant what makes the most sense to the business and to the end user um, who by the way could be a computer or yeah. and a bot or you know, just another machine. doesn't necessarily have to be a person, but you're able to make those decisions because of the, not only the, the gains in technology of the servers and the memory and everything we need to make this happen, but also the idea that you can containerize things. And we're going back kind of to mainframe in that, that particular technology, but we're able to write, write, run everything as code containerize the applications in such a way that you only run what you need and you only update what you need when you do it. That's a whole new way of seeing things. And I think the edge is just the idea that you can put this application where is the best place to put it, wherever the best place is.
1: Well, one of the things I think about it is ubiquitousness, right? Um, I just recently got a smartwatch, right? Which, again, has nowhere near the technological capacity of my smartphone, yet it can do some pretty incredible things. Back to your point, mm-hmm. right? Uh, my wife also has a smart watch, different model. Mainly re- the reason was she has trouble getting good night's sleep. And so she's able to tell me just how good a night's sleep she had. That watch can calculate that pretty accurately mm-hmm. within a few uh, basic algorithms that on uh, maybe even five years ago, the only way to get that data would be to do a sleep study mm-hmm. with a massive device strapped to you. And 10 years ago, you would have had gone to the hospital. So it's this ubiquitousness, this penetration into literally everything that we have. And we were chatting a little bit before we got started. Who should get access to that data, right? Is the fact that she's having a difficult time sleeping each night, or the fact that my Watch just told me I'm under stress, okay. right? <laughs> and it does that. Frequent, freak, shut up. Uh, you know, that it does that. What if my insurance company have a right to know about me? Could they raise my rates as a result of that? That, again, we didn't have access to that type of ubiquitousness until quite literally within the last three to five years.
2: Exactly. I, I was going to say, I'll, I'll even go further. So I got diagnosed with AFib. Hmm. And I have a Cardia, which is literally, it's probably half the size of this, really super, super thin. And I put it on my knee and press it with both of my thumbs. Okay. And I can take a reading that actually does an EKG. Yeah. So I'll get the signals from my smartwatch that my pulse is too high. And I'll be like, oh no, oh no. And then I will take my EKG and it can tell me if I'm in a normal um, cardiac rhythm or not. Hmm. If I'm not, the doctor, my cardiologist, has prescribed me medicine to take to bring me back in there. So I don't, I'm just not an emergency visit. I'm not going and trying to catch whatever's going on, mm-hmm. going to the emergency room and being hooked up to an EKG machine and all sorts of other tests that they do. I got the medicine for my cardiologist to take and handle it at home. It, how crazy is and, that? It's pretty awesome.
1: And how far away from having a dermal device that would simply... Take care of that dosage for Calm you. Calm right now
2: down. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I that. you need it too. This
1: tech, Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> but we're we're already there based on some technology I've seen.
0: So let me pose it this way, because you've definitely kind of set the stage for the fact that there's elements of what's going on that it gives us flexibility in the way that we do things, whether it is you know deployment models or health information and things like mm. that. But you know, just going back to your examples of you know you've been stressed, you're just aware of it now. You, knew, you know now there's a medical condition that has been there and now you're aware of it and you're able to do something about it. The data has always been there. We just haven't been able to access it. And part of that is figuring out a way to deploy the information gathering solution to the edge to do that. Because for a long time, all I heard was, there's no way that you can do this unless you do it in the cloud. All of that processing has to occur here because this is effectively infinite compute if your credit card has a high enough limit. But as we've kind of rolled forward, I mean, we now talk about the capability of doing, you know, GP three, GPT-3 runs or GPT-4 runs in or maybe not the runs themselves, but doing the processing of the models, you know, remotely. I mean, mm-hmm. as, as it was brought up in one of the great Ignite talks we had, I can run a, a GPT model on my laptop. Mm-hmm. Two years ago, that idea was completely insane because the the amount of compute power that I need to be able to do that is astronomical. And my kids have never grown up in a world that did not have an iPhone. So the ideas of what they want to do with technology, like they watch old movies, they're like, well, dad, why don't they just pull out their cell phone and call the the bad guy? And I'm like, because this is pre-cell phone, kids. So, I mean, does Edge just give us the ability to notice that there's been this stuff that we can do things with? Is that what makes it so revolutionary?
2: No, those are the applications that make it so revolutionary. The, rev- the applications are able to be designed to fit on, to run on a, a small device like a, a watch or uh, my cardia or or anything else. So it's it's all about that application and who's going to be using the application and where does that data need to be crunched and where does what where do you want to run? That application where it's the most performant, so the data user gets the data. We can see the data now because of all that, but this is because of the advancements in hardware that's allowed us to get to this point too.
3: So I think this comes into one question that we've talked about a lot, both before and, and during this event, is what is what really defines edge? What, you know, what what brings us the ability yeah. to do edge and. From everything you all have said about this, which, of course, is is all 100% true, it's it's been a process of things that have gotten us to the point of shrinking it down, increasing the compute capacity, you know, the whole Moore's Law thing. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe this isn't really a revolution so much as an inevitable conclusion Mm -hmm. or stop along the way, if you will, because I doubt it's the end. (laughs) <laughs> of, oh, of everything that's been going on in the IT industry since the beginning is that the shrinkage of, of the form factor, the increase of capacity per square inch, the, um, the, the ubiquity of data gathering devices, the ubiquity of the ability to create an application, create mm-hmm. a solution has become more and more democratized. More people can write a solution, create something new out of whole cloth than could 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Which is more than 20 years ago. And all of these things have led to to this point and will continue to go to some place we can't conceptualize today in 10 years probably. It's, it's you know, I, I guess I'm getting a hard time calling it a revolution at all just because it has been such a progressive move mm-hmm. to that and the only revolution is our ability to witness the fact that, wait a second, we're already there in this whole new paradigm that we didn't even see
1: coming. Right. I wonder if, is it Neuralink, I believe? that Elon Musk's company, yeah. company, that, is it going to actually allow us to have implants?
2: Supposedly. You know,
1: neural, and the, again, will that become ubiquitous at some point? where people will not, so that they can, say, overcome ALS or a spinal injury, decide to start shipping parts of themselves, I mean, right now that's science fiction, but parts of our memory off somewhere else or parts of our lives somewhere
3: else.
2: Oh, Lord, I don't want to do that. i mean, but saying. I
1: mean,
3: but that, that, is a, that is an ethos within Silicon yeah. Valley these days is yeah. we need to build ourselves to the point where we can make every life last forever. Mm.
1: Yeah. Uh, no. And
3: I'm thinking ready for that. <laughs> oh, I didn't say I was ready for it or I wanted I'm just saying that there are those that are working us to That's true. I,
2: I think there's also this idea in Silicon Valley that you can fail fast keep going and there things like that you cannot fail fast that no. and we yeah. really need to be able to take a very methodical look at yeah. at what these what the uh, repercussions and the safety everything else of, of those things being built because I think there is promise to do some amazing amazing things sure. uh, but at West cost and at, hopefully there are people that are rallying around to to keep that in the forefront. Yes.
0: But I think jumping back kind of to Brian's point is technology is constantly advancing and and Mainframes revolutionized the way that we looked at things because Mm -hmm. computers were a thing we could use now. Client server changed the way that computers were consumed. We no longer had to drive down to the data center and put punch cards in and hope that we got the right stuff back. I would argue that Edge is revolutionary because it's transformational as a technology. And we've given Mm -hmm. a lot of examples, but I'll give you one that actually kind of landed and made me think about it. And speaking of smart devices, Um, it's Apple Pay. Hmm. So I can now get the information for a a payment card on a wearable device that is authenticated because as soon as I put it on my wrist, as long as it's in contact with my wrist, I can pay with a credit card, right? Remember when I was told by the credit card companies that chips were stupid and we're not going to use them? And then all of a sudden, people started using wearable devices for payments. Like when I'm out on my run... I no longer have to bring my wallet. I can just pay with my watch. Suddenly, the people who kept telling me that things weren't possible changed their tune when their customers forced them to adopt chip and pin, when they forced them to adopt contactless payments because they were being dragged along by technology. Mm. Is Edge truly revolutionary because it's forcing traditional infrastructure Mm. to change to suit what we want. I mean, that's a tale
3: as old as time with IT. I mean, we've, we've always had that situation. I mean, cloud is that same way. Um, developers said, hey, you, you are being a, making it slow for us to deliver what we need to deliver to the business. We're gonna go off and do our own thing. And IT was dragged kicking and screaming into the cloud computing revolution
0: as well. So, But how did, how did cloud revolutionize the way that we operate outside of technology? Oh, a lot of different ways. Difficulty mode. You're not allowed to say Netflix.
3: <laughs> no, I mean, a lot of, I mean, Dropbox. Let's, that's, that's one example that has become a, a standard within business. Hey, can you share that document with me? Guess what? I don't have to attach it to an email. I, I did this earlier today. I you know, had to send, send a document over and it took a noticeable amount of time to upload, which meant it was big. And I'm like, oh, I really don't want to attach 25 meg to, to an email oh, I'll just get the Dropbox link, and I sent the Dropbox link. And so now we're able to share those bigger pieces of data where I don't have to download it and then re-upload it again. So, you know, that's that's one example of where cloud has, has revolutionized how business works or how society works in general.
2: It's more of the operating model, too. That was a huge mm-hmm. revolution with cloud, being able to pay for um, infrastructure as you needed it instead of paying for an entire data center to be built up before you could build and, and test and, and deploy an application. So that was some of it. Um, but I mean, you could go back, to the, so it just changed. It changed things, but it changed things how we wanted them to be. Just because IT holds out and is has had to be slow in many cases is because we didn't have the infrastructure or the the environment to do things fast. So I think that's also a positive change is is saying, hey, if you want to compete with the cloud, you gotta have, you know, you gotta have a cloud like environment to be right. able to run things. So you have to you have to be able to make things right for your developers. You've got to make it good. I think that's a thing too. I mean the same pushback came with VMware. Um, and I would not say for lots of reasons that it was an important um, technological change. It got us to the cloud, I believe. It was a stepping stone. It was a stepping stone for sure. Um, but it was not it was transformational in that it wasn't even anything new it is part of Absolutely. unix operating systems right so it's not even like it was something brand new it's My just the mainframe guys were like
3: yeah we've been doing that for 20 years exactly
2: so exactly and and the only reason the reason vmware was so awesome at it is they were owned by emc that never wanted anything to fail so when it came out it didn't fail. They, they, well, it did in the beginning, but you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Everything has a version one. That's, yes.
2: that's why they were able to ever, that, that VMware is what, it was when I left VMware, it was like 95% of all enterprise workloads are on VMware. So then we see which workloads go to the cloud. Very interestingly, they go all on VMware, right? But then things started to change where people started to figure out how to write infrastructure as code, although it was all in the cloud at first. Starting slowly to get people to do that on the on, on premises, that's kind of like the transport system to think about cloud, to think about edge as right. So that all of that got developed and started to be used there. That's the reason we can have edge applications. That's the reason we can think of all the different ways to use um, to deploy things. So that's why I think edge is more of the big change, and those other things are stepping stones to that.
1: And I think one thing maybe we're not. Thinking about as much, but it's uh, alongside this ubiquitousness, if that's a word, uh, is the much uh, more uh, networkability of these devices, right? I mean, you know, who doesn't know what Bluetooth is these days, right? right? I mean, but even five years ago, right, you know, what do you mean you don't have a Bluetooth connection today? What do you mean you don't have a, a protocol to be able to communicate with it? Part of the client-server revolution, too, was that there were different ways to connect to that mainframe. And now, with wireless Wi-Fi, all the different ways of communicating, the different protocols and everything else, and the fact that, you know, who hasn't wandered through an airport going, where's the Wi-Fi (laughs) segment strongest? That doesn't happen anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's a major enough airport, free Wi-Fi. And that's relatively... uh, New. if you really think about it, we yeah. literally did not have that capacity until a few years back. Without that, none of this stuff would really work.
2: Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. So maybe
1: that's kind of like 2.5, somewhere in there, <laughs> but, happened but about the
2: same time. The networking right. stuff is interesting because if you think yeah. back to client-server, huge war over what, because oh. that's when the internet started to be uh, developed, yeah. right? And a huge war over, are we going to do Ethernet or are we going to do token yeah. ring?
0: So, ArtNet, baby, ArtNet forever.
2: <laughs> but and, and all of that was political as well, and competition mm-hmm. between the businesses, it, is, which I I think some of the the, the networking wars still are still that way. Sure. What's the sure. protocol? That's I know definitely. If you even go to like um, Nvidia, Nvidia not wanting anybody else to call their cards anything but a GPU, it can't be a DPU, only a GPU. Yeah, because that's Nvidia's term. So like who's going to win that war I don't think we've even gotten to there but that's part of going into this and I I kind of think edge going back to you know I mentioned it earlier this morning my friend Bill Cote who works for Edge Gap when I asked him on our podcast you know what what is the edge and he's like it, it's a concept so edge isn't isn't um, colo 2.0 at all mm-hmm. Edge is this concept of being able to put the workload where it needs to be to run the best.
0: Yeah. That's fair.
2: Yeah. That's why I believe Edge is the revolution. (laughs) (laughs) And if no
1: one's licensed the the company name Ubiquitap, I think somebody should as quickly as
2: possible. Probably should go get the domain right now.
0: (sighs) (sighs) Hurry up before this publishes. Let me
1: check my smartphone. Never mind.
0: I think you've seen that that there's technology that's transformational, and we've seen that all over the world, um, and it, it doesn't have to be IT related. I mean, the car was transformational, air travel, airplanes themselves were transformational, but in technology especially, because of the speed at which we develop, we iterate, we fail, we recover, um, it feels like we have periods where everything is changing all at once, and then a new iPhone comes out and it's slightly, a slightly faster horse that eats a little less hay. But ultimately, when you look at the, the concepts, the, the ideas behind what drives that, you generally get a feel for that. You know, we've, we've talked about the fact that there's ubiquitous connectivity now. I would argue that that wouldn't exist if we didn't have powerful edge devices. We talked about the fact that consumption models for things like uh, entertainment programming have changed. My kids don't watch TV. They have devices that they consume content on demand. I don't think that would happen without robust edge concepts. So in a way, I personally believe that edge is a great revolution. If only because we're still in the middle of it and it's still changing the way that we do things, And I think that years from now, we'll look back on this transitional shift and realize that it changed the way that we do our jobs and live our lives. But more importantly, it sets us up for what comes next. That'll just about do it for this episode of the On-Premise IT Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. We have a new episode about every two weeks. You can find the latest episode on our website, gestaltit.com podcast. You can also subscribe in your favorite podcast application of choice. Just look for On-Premise IT Podcast. Yes, we're using On-Premise correctly. And we will be back within a couple of weeks with another great episode. Hopefully something to uh, make you think or at the very least, Maybe leave a comment on this video about whether or not you think it's a great next revolution. I'll tell you though, if you do leave that comment, I want you to tell me what the great revolution was. Take care. We'll talk to you later.